Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. series that we're going through as a church, we're talking about denial. Um, and we're not talking about a river in Egypt, okay? So just make sure that um, you guys know what we're talking about. We're talking about um, something that is a very serious topic, and the subject of our discussion this morning is going to be the Apostle Peter. And everybody knows uh, the Apostle Peter was famous for his um, kind of personality almost more so than his, than his faith at first. Uh, he was just looked at as kind of a larger-than-life kind of guy, and he was the guy, the life of the party showed up, and, man, everybody was smiling and laughing and having a good time when Peter showed up. Um, so it was, he was the kind of guy that you would want to be around if you wanted to have a good time. And so, um, and I think at some level, I'm not that guy, okay? So when I walk in the room, everybody's like, okay, he's here. You know, so I'm not a, you know, I'm not a Peter but uh, I think everybody, regardless of their personality, at some point wants to be the personality of Peter, right? They want to walk in and just be the life of the party. Now, Will, on the other hand, is the woo, right? He's got, he has got, man, he walks in. And it's funny because I spend a lot of time with this guy. We're very good friends. And I see him, like, in, in different settings and different things. But, man, when he, he loves students so much, and I'm so grateful that he's here serving with us. And I can see when he goes from just hanging out with me to hanging out with Students, it's like there's a, a switch that flips on, and I mean, he goes into live wire mode, and it is so cool to watch him uh, minister to students and invest in them, so you guys are very lucky to have him here as well, not only for worship, but to minister to students. Um, but this story of Peter uh, begins uh, hours before um, the actual event that we're going to read, so I want to give you a little context this morning before we get started in our, passage, uh, in our passage this morning, in verse 33, Jesus was sitting with his disciples and having a discussion in the same chapter, verse, or chapter 26. He was having a discussion about the things that were to come that day. And he was discussing all the things that were going to happen, and he basically made the statement, one of you sitting here with me right now is going to deny me, which is kind of one of those statements when everybody's sitting around having a good time at dinner is kind of one of those emergency break statements, right, where whatever was being discussed at that time before he said that kind of was like, er, okay, we're gonna, we got something new to talk about now. Uh, and so he made this statement, before the end of the night, one of you is going gonna, is gonna to deny me. And Peter being the, the, the life of the party, the first one to speak, um, the one who's always confident, who's always a very self, uh, has a lot of self-confidence. He's, of course, the first one to speak. And he says, um, he says, I will never deny you. And Jesus, uh, he says, I tell you the truth this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter even kind of pushes back a little bit uh, to, with Jesus. And he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Then Peter witnessed later on that day as the highest court in the Jewish community captured Jesus, brought him to the courtyard, began to strip him of his clothes, beat him, mock him, spit on him, and none of his disciples were to be found. Peter followed and watched 
feeling helpless, feeling unable, maybe for the first time in his life. He was in a situation that he couldn't control. He was in a situation that he couldn't deal with. And that's hard for a personality like Peter to really take. Because he's used to being the guy that everybody looks to to make something happen. At first, Peter's denial began as a fearful denial. And then he continued to deny. I want to read that passage of scripture with you um, this morning. Starting in verse 69, it says, Now Peter sat outside the palace, and a young girl came to him saying, Weren't you with Jesus of Galilee? But he denied before them all, saying, I don't know what you're saying. Verse 71, And he was gone out into the porch, and another lady came to him and said, Man, I think I recognize you. This guy was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And it says in verse 72 that again he denied with an oath. He swore. He said, I swear. I do not know this man. In their culture it would have probably been, I swear to God kind of thing. I swear to God I was not with this man. I promise you. More vehemently he denied. Verse 73, it says, and after a while they came into him again. As he stood by and said to Peter, surely you are also one of them because your accent, we can tell by the way you talk, that you talk like them. And it says that Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I know not this man, and immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which he said unto him, Before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Will you pray with me? God, we come here this morning and we ask for your favor. Holy Spirit, we know that you are our teacher today. And we ask you to to impress upon our hearts, God, the things that we need to glean from this story. God, this is such an emotional, traumatic, passionate event. And we need to understand it as the church of Jesus Christ. Because today in in the climate of our country, God, you know that the temperature continues to increase. The persecution continues to increase. And it becomes day to day even more difficult to stand and declare that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, we need you to teach us what we need to know in this passage. But more more so, we need your Spirit to fill us and give us boldness. To give us power. To give us anointing to speak as an oracle of God. And Lord, we ask today that you would speak through your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, it's a very emotional night. There's a lot of things that take place in this denial of Jesus. Peter begins to deny in fear. And as he watched silently and convicted, as he followed kind of the progression, the procession of this night, uh, kind of at a distance, just kind of like, I don't know what to do. I can't handle this. And then immediately when this person came up to him and asked him, don't you know this guy? He's like, oh, no, 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 not me. I'm not, I'm not part of this. I'm just kind of observing And then as the night went on, he denies even more passionately by swearing an oath to God. I swear to God, I don't know this man. And then Peter completes 
his denial with an angry tirade to prove that he is not one of Jesus' followers. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you really lost it, kind of went postal. I don't know if you've ever had that. I know I've had it. Thankfully, most of mine have been in private. They haven't been in public places. But I want you to imagine kind of in a public place, in a very public place, whether it's a uh, an amusement park or a restaurant or the DMV. I mean, just to throw something out there, right? No, nobody loses it there. So wherever that might be, or Popeye's chicken, you know, I mean, everybody's losing it over the new chicken sandwich, right? So, yeah, I've tried it, by the way. It's not that great. Oh, so, so anyway, so whatever it is, you're in this public situation and you have this enormous emotional outbreak that's very loud and very passionate, and all of a sudden, what happens? Poof, everybody's quiet. And you imagine this courtyard that's filled with people, and they're all angry, and they're all uh, beating Jesus and trying Jesus. There's all these false witnesses that are called up to testify against him about things that he had not done, and, and they brought him before this, this Jewish court, and everybody's yelling and mad, and all of a sudden this lady comes to him and says, don't you know this for the, thir- for the third time, and Peter goes into a meltdown, and it's a self-defense mechanism that he's in survival mode, and he's trying in his flesh to control the situation, and so he has to, because of his personality, Peter's personality is to one up whatever the situation is that he's facing. And so as the, as the questions become more personal and more, more uh, direct, he becomes more and more animated and it peaks to the point to where he loses it and he begins using profanity and he begins screaming about that he doesn't know Jesus and I can imagine the whole courtyard in this area just falls silent. It's like, what is this guy doing? And the Bible says immediately when that happened, And I don't know if this was because God set it up this way or what, but I can imagine that in the silence, Peter's standing there, and everybody's looking at Peter, and everybody's he's looking at everyone, and all of a sudden, the rooster crows. And it's like that crow just pierced his heart because he remembered what Jesus had said. He remembered that Jesus had said, You will deny me three times. Before the rooster crows. Denial of Christ is a serious topic. But it is something that you and I face on a daily basis. Whether or not to admit who we truly are and what we truly believe. Or whether or not to stay silent or to in fact deny it verbally in front of others. It's something that we deal with on a a day-to-day basis. And some days, you know, we have victory and we do the right thing and we say the right thing and we say, yes, I believe in Jesus or I believe in the Word of God or I believe in whatever that God believes in. I'm I'm on His side and I don't care what anybody else is doing. And some days we lose and we say, you know what, I'm just going to keep quiet. I've had a hard day. I don't need this right now. This situation is overwhelming and the people that are against uh, God's way are, are numerous and they're, they're, they're too strong for me and I can't deal with this and so I'm just going to be silent, stand over here and in fact if somebody asks me about it I'm just going to say, you know what, I don't want to talk about that right now. Denial of Christ is something that we deal with but it is so, it is so important. It is such an important issue that Jesus, in fact, said in Matthew chapter 10, he said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. That's how big of an issue this is for Jesus. 
Now, we're not here today to say that if you deny Christ one time that, that, you're, not a, that you're not a believer. When Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, he is talking about a lifestyle and a heartbeat of denial. I deny that Jesus is the Son of God. I deny that Jesus has done anything significant in the world, and I deny the, God, the Godhood, the Sonship, in any other way, Jesus Christ. That's the kind of denial that he's talking about. But the seeds of denial are seeded even in the believer because the believer is walking around in a tomb of flesh that is part of this world and is inherently evil in and of itself. And so we constantly fight this battle between the spirit and the flesh. And some days the flesh wins and some days the spirit wins. And I know you know the analogy of the the white dog and the black dog. The one that wins is the one you feed, right? But today, Peter lost in a big way. In a big way. But what is at stake when we deny Christ? What is it about? I've got a quote up there. It says, you deny Christ when you exalt your opinion above his truth. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard? It's very popular today, the whole situational ethics debate. Whether or not truth is absolute or is relative to the situation that we're in. And it's very common to say today, well, that's not your truth. Friends, we got to be really careful as the church of Jesus Christ about saying that word, your truth. Because your truth doesn't exist. The truth that exists is centered around the person of Jesus Christ who is manifested for us in the word of God according to John 1. This is truth. And for years, science and technology has been trying to catch up with the revelation of the Word of God. And today we're not into apologetics discussion, okay? But I can tell you assuredly that the Word of God is far beyond anything that we can think or understand. And the things that God wants to share with you are not truths that last for a season. They're truths that last for eternity. And so when we think about our truth versus the truth, we need to make sure that we're in the right lane. Because when you deny Christ by allowing the enemy to to, uh, establish your truth, then you miss the message of John 14, 6, which says, No man can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus speaking of himself. This is where truth lies, with him, not with us. But the the tendency for us is to not offend or to to be kind, and we want to to do the right thing. And so sometimes uh, we we shy away from this discussion because we're afraid of, of offending people. Listen, if you have the right heart and the right attitude, you can share the truth of Jesus Christ in a kind and compassionate way that is centered around the redemption of the person you're speaking to and not winning a debate. We can share the truth of God in compassion without ceding it away to a, to a relative truth that exists only in fantasy. It doesn't exist in the real world. Secondly, you deny Christ, and this is the important part, by the way, so if you're writing something down, this is what denial is, okay? So denying Christ when your opinion trumps his truth. Secondly, you deny Christ when you exalt your predicament over his sovereignty. Think about examples in the scripture where this was true. Isaiah is one that comes to mind. Ezekiel, 
Elisha as he stood on the, 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 the um, Mount Carmel. And 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah stand there against him. 850 people. And it's easy to look at that situation and go, you know what, his predicament trumps what else is going on and you just need to walk away and just say, you know what, let's have this discussion later. Right? We're not going to talk about this right now, but he decided to plant his feet in God's sovereignty that day. And that's exactly what we have to do as the church of Jesus Christ. Today, in the, in the story that we're looking at, Peter de- decided that his predicament trumped God's sovereignty and therefore he denied Christ. But I'm here to tell you guys that God is not only sovereign over what happens in your life, he's sovereign over what happens in everyone's life. This world was spoken into existence at his word, and he can do anything. He can literally do anything. You can rise to any situation in his name, and regardless of the outcome, be victorious. In the worst situation that you can think of, where everybody of faith loses in the world's mind. I'm thinking of the story of Jim Elliott. You guys familiar with this story? In the 50s, this missionary traveled down to Ecuador. There's a great movie, one of the best Christian movies, in my opinion, that's ever been made. It's called End of the Spear. And it's about the life of Jim Elliott. And Jim and four of his friends went down to um, Ecuador to reach the Aka Indians. And the Aka Indians were a group of people who, there wasn't a translation of the scripture in their language. There wasn't anybody who knew how to speak their language. And so they literally went down there not knowing how they were going to bring this all together, but they wanted to reach the Aka Indians. And on one particular day, they decided to fly their Piper Cub, J3 Cub, which I, so part of my love for, for him is aviation. But I mainly love him because of his, of his passion for Christ, but he flew his little Piper J3 Cub into this little gravel bar on a river by where the Aka Indians uh, used to come and, and get water and things. And they landed and came out and they were having interactions with some of the females and everything was going fine. And all of a sudden the warriors came out of the woods and thought that they were doing something. Who knows what? Anyway, they ended up spearing all of the five men. They all died. When the people came to the wreckage site... On each man was a loaded six-shot thirty-eight revolver, fully loaded. And before Jim left his camp that day, his son asked him, Dad, if they attack you, are you going to fire back? And he said no. He said because the Aka Indians are not ready for heaven yet. But we are. For Jim Elliott, what God was doing in that community was more important than him. And in that situation, in that one moment in time, in the flesh, you could say the enemy won. But you fast forward 10 years from now, 10 years from that day. And the entire tribe were now believers. The man who speared Jim Elliot was now the pastor and considered Jim Elliot's son to be his own.
God's sovereignty trumps our predicament. The third way we deny Christ is when we exalt our name above God's name. When we exalt our name above God's name. It's common for people in our country to wear shirts with Jesus on them or crosses on them or wear a necklace with a cross on it or have some symbol, symbol of Jesus or of the sacrifice of Christ that we wear around. But not only do we wear around the symbols of Christ, but we speak the name of Jesus. And when the name of Jesus becomes less important than our name, we will deny Christ. When our reputation becomes less important, or when our reputation becomes more important than the reputation of Christ, we deny him every time. Psalms 8.1 says, Lord, your name is so great and so powerful, people everywhere see your splendor. Your glorious majesty streams from the heavens, filling the earth with the renown of your name. Psalms 45, 17, I will cause your name to be remembered for all generations. Therefore, the people will praise you forever and ever. Isaiah 26, 8, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you, for your name and your fame are the desire of our hearts. God's name is so important. That's why a big deal to him is how we use his name. His name for the Christian can never be an adjective. His name for the Christian can never be a curse word. Because the name of God is what defines us as a people. We sang a song before I came up here called The Stand. And in that song, the last words of that song are so powerful. So powerful. And I kind of couldn't get over it. After we sang those words, I kind of was done. I was just like, you know what? That's what God wanted me to get today. And the last words of that song are, all I am is yours. That's what defines me as a person. That's what defines my mission. That's what defines where I live. That's what defines who I speak to. That's what defines who I forgive. That's, who, that's what defines how I treat other people is because of Jesus. Because I'm his, and the value that I have, the value that you have, is Christ. We are his. And we, in the grand scheme of things, have very little value intrinsically. Depending on what country you're from today, you may have even less value. If you come from a place like China or India, where people disappear en masse, the price of life is not very high. But even in America, whatever value you think you have intrinsically as a human being, as, as established in our Constitution, is nothing compared to your value as a child of God. Nothing. And that should trump everything else that we do in our life. Is what, what are we doing with the name of Jesus? When I go to guard drill, and I'm with a bunch of infantry guys who are the roughest, most vulgar people in the military... Do you think I've not been tempted to use profanity as a staff sergeant? I'm in charge of a platoon of men, 35 other soldiers. Do you think I've never one time been, been tempted to cuss them? Absolutely. Every time I get a new batch of privates, I get tempted all over again. But you know what? I don't. Why not? 
Would I look cooler as a staff sergeant if I were to use profanity all the time? Absolutely. Why don't I do it? Because they all know who I am. And I'm not a man who is in the guard. I am a servant of Jesus Christ, and they know that. And so his name is more important than what I choose to use with my mouth, the words I choose to use. And it is for you too. His name is more important. I was in basic training, and a a young soldier came up to me and said, because I spoke different than everybody there, and a young soldier came up to me and said, what are you, some kind of Christian or something? And I thought that was a great compliment. He didn't mean it that way, but I took it that way. And I didn't even do anything. I just chose to use my words differently. And in that, the name of God was exalted. I don't always do that. I'll be honest with you, okay? I don't always make the name of God more important than my name. Some days, some days Justin is the most important thing. I had, to, I had to have a phone conversation with a brother in Christ last night, and I had to confess some things that were on my heart, things that I had done, that I had made Eastwood Student Ministry more important than the name of Jesus. Because I was more devoted to the programming and the, and the plans and the goals of our student ministry than I was what God wanted to do. And I had to repent of that. Because sometimes your flesh just gets in the middle of it. And it's easy to justify in the ministry because you think you're doing good. But you can still do it here. You can do it here. You can do it where you are. But the name of God has got to be preeminent. Let me move on or I'm going to be way late. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The glory of God is the end, the end result of lifting up the name of Jesus. Peter was, a, was not a bad guy. I don't know if you remember, but Peter was not a bad guy. Peter was a man of surrender. Think about when Jesus walked by the ocean and he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter's like, cool, that sounds good. Right? There wasn't a discussion. He was just like, hey, I don't know what it is about you, man, but you are something. Like there's something about you that I like and I want to be around that. Right? Have you ever been around anybody like that? Like it's like, man, I just want to spend time with that guy. Right? When Jesus walked by, he's literally God in the flesh. He's like, come and follow me. Right? I don't know what he said. He could have been like, hey, y'all, what's up? Come on. You know, I don't know how he did it. If it was like Kentucky Greek or like Ohio Greek or like where he went in there. But like somewhere he was like, come and follow me, right? And Peter was like, yeah, let's do it. I've surrendered. And he didn't go back on the weekends. He was there with him the whole time. Peter was not only a man of surrender. He was a man who believed in Jesus, right? When they asked the question, um, how much fish did you catch last night? And Peter was like, we didn't catch nothing. And Peter was a professional fisherman. And Jesus was like, hey, why don't you take those nets, throw them on the other side. And he goes, hey, uh, professional fisherman, carpenter, um, we, uh, we fished all night, okay, but nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it, right? He believed Jesus. Peter was a man who not only believed Jesus, he was a man of great faith. Think about when Jesus was walking on the water, right? Who was the guy that stood up and was like, dude, that is so cool, man. Hey, Jesus, call to me. I want to come out there. And Peter's like, or Jesus like, come on. And so Peter stepped out, and he's like, this is awesome. And then he got to looking around, right? 
But he was a man of great faith. Nobody else got out of the boat. He was a man of great faith. He was a man who understood who Jesus was. When they asked the question, Jesus came before the disciples and he said, Who do men say that I am? And then he said, and then they gave answers, you know, and then, and then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And man, Peter, all the rest of those guys, you know, were saying stuff, and Peter's like, I got this one, boys. All right, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is like, you're right. Peter's like, I knew it, I was right. I'm sure he was nudging all the other disciples and be like, told you, I knew who he was. Peter was a man who understood what Jesus was. But on this night, right, the night that defines our conversation today, on this night, in Matthew 26, 69, Peter had been going down a road of the flesh for a while, and you don't, maybe not notice it unless you're looking for it, but I want to show you a couple of things tonight, okay, today. Peter disagreed with the word of God at this meal. Jesus said, somebody's going to deny me tonight, and Peter said, it's not going to be me, all these other idiots are going to deny you, but not me. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And he said, no, man, that's not going to happen. So what happened to that guy that was on the fishing boat that was like, hey, me fisherman, you carpenter, okay, I'll throw my nets on the other side of the boat to the guy who's like, no, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm never going to deny you. That guy had a little bit more of investment in the flesh on that day. Okay, You can see a trend going here. Peter began to believe that he alone could save Jesus from this impending disaster of the cross. When the, when the people came to get him in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter whips out his sword and goes to cut, you know, everybody's like, he cut his ear off. Listen, people, okay, I've, he wasn't trying to cut his ear off, okay? That was just a quick, a quick servant, right? He was like, whoop, you know, he did one of these and it just kind of grazed him, right? I took my, took my microphone off on that one. Peter was trying to take his head off. Peter was like, I'm going to finish this right now. Whips out his sword and goes to whack the guy's head off. And he did like a matrix thing, you know. And he just got his ear. And, and, and Jesus is like, no, that's not what we're here for. That's not what this is about. You stand back there and be quiet until I call on you, right? One of those deals. You guys have done that with your kids, right? This is my show. Get back behind me. And then at the end, Peter valued his name above Jesus' name when he denied him in the courtyard. He said, do you know this guy? And, Jesus, and Peter said, nope. I'm going to go with Peter today. Jesus, you're on your own. And in the Gospel of Luke, the most, the most descriptive version of this story in the Gospel of Luke, the Bible says that after the cock crowed, three, uh, the cock crowed after Peter had denied him three, three times, and the rooster crowed, and this silence has fallen over the crowd, it says in that moment that Jesus was close enough to Peter to hear him in his tirade, and in that moment, Peter looked at Jesus, and, it's, and it says that Jesus was down being beaten, and Jesus looked up at him. And it says in that moment, when they locked eyes, it says Peter went away and, and bitterly wept. Bitterly. This is the guy who's the life of the party. This is the guy who can handle any situation. This is the guy that's never met a challenge that he could not meet. And yet he runs away and weeps like a child. Because in this moment, he realizes that he can't do it anymore. Some people even believe that 
Some theologians believe that this was the moment when Peter was actually born again, where he actually made the decision to follow Christ. Now, I don't know that I agree with that, okay? And it doesn't really matter one way or the other. But because of his brokenness and because, just like the rich man, he had to eventually come to the end of himself and embrace Christ, Peter comes to this moment. The second point today, that was the first point. Good grief. Okay, I'm going to go through the rest of these fast. Denying Christ has consequences. We talked about Matthew chapter 10 where it says, If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. The Bible constantly refers to outward evidence of inward change. We're not talking about work salvation here. We're talking about, we're talking about an apple tree producing apples. When God comes in and he changes you, you produce what is inside of you, right? It's not like it has to, you have to work it around. This is just the natural outflow of a believer. The, the scripture that was preached the day that I got saved was 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10, and 11. And it says, don't be deceived for the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. For neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminates, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor revelers, nor drunkards, nor, you know, and all these other things. He said, he lists seven things. He said, as which, as which were some of you, but now you've been washed, now you've been cleansed, now you've been glorified or, or sanctified, and now you're walking in a different way. He's saying there is an outward evidence of an inward reality, and that inward reality is Jesus, and so it creates results on the outside. And that's what we're talking about. The third point is denying Christ does not have to be the end, and that's the most beautiful and my favorite part of this story is that the story didn't end with a chicken. Okay, the story didn't end with a chicken. There's more to it. He goes away, he weeps bitterly, he felt deep conviction for his sin. He wept bitterly, he turned in a different way, he repented of his sin. You may be asking the question, what if I don't feel deep conviction about my particular sin? Well, the Bible says very briefly, if you'd like to talk to me more about this later, I'd be happy to. But the Bible says very, very briefly that if you don't feel conviction from the Holy Spirit about your particular sin and it's not in line with the Word of God, the Bible says you're not a child of God. That's what it says. So there's not a feeler that's broke, okay? It just says you haven't made the decision to follow Christ yet. And you should make that decision first. The second thing is he allowed the word of God back in his life. You remember a conversation he had with Jesus in John 21 where Jesus said, uh, do you love me? And, and Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he asked him again. He said, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, I mean, we just, I just said that. I love you. You know that. And he goes, feed my lambs. And then he asked him a third time. He said, do you love me? And Peter's like, Lord, you know that I love you, man. You know that I love you. He had three denials. He had three proclamations of allegiance and he said feed my sheep and so in order to feed the sheep he's not talking about going down to the feed store and buying grain and feeding the sheep he's talking about figuratively he's talking about the word of God so getting in the word of God he allowed the word of God back into his life and discovered his calling in life through the word and third he proclaimed the name of Jesus above his name at Pentecost I love this story the story of, the, of the, 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 the Holy Spirit falling down at Pentecost is one of the coolest stories in the whole Bible. 
Okay, there's other ones. I like to talk about them too, but I love the story of Pentecost because it is the usherance in of a new age of Christianity. It is the start of the church of Jesus Christ where we take our lineage from. And Peter, who had never, that I know of, spoke, got in front of a group of people. I love what it says here. It says that when the time had come, all the nations of the world had gathered into Jerusalem for Pentecost strategically. Right, God is strategic God. He's a strategic missional God. I love that. So he waits till all, everybody He's gathered into one town, and all of a sudden, Peter feels the Holy Spirit say, it's time, okay? And he jumps up, and he, the Bible says he stood up, and he began to proclaim the gospel. And one of the quotes of this, of this sermon, which is about a minute and a half, it says this. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to me. Jesus of Nazareth, there's the name of God, right? The Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. Does this sound like a guy who is not comfortable with his predicament? No. But it is a guy who is transferred his predicament with God's sovereignty, and now he understands that regardless of what happens to me, I can stand in this pulpit with the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit, and I can say what needs to be said, and that God's going to take care of this. Whatever happens. These people could rush me, surround me, crucify me too, which, by the way, that's how he died, crucified upside down. But when he transferred from a denier to a proclaimer, when he understood the difference in the name of God and the name of Peter and which one comes first, he was a completely different person. And that inspires me today. It inspires me to live differently. It inspires me to not look at the people that are around me and be afraid because I know that the God who counts the hairs on my head is not concerned. The God who knows every piece of me can handle it. So today, denial is something that's serious. But God is willing to forgive. Secondly, what I want you to take away from today is that confession and repentance are things that we need to practice regularly, whether you're a believer or not, confession is, and repentance is the beginning of a deeper walk with Christ. And if you're in here as a believer and you don't have somebody who is another believer or a leader or a pastor that you can go to and say, I messed up, I sinned a big sin here, and I need your help to overcome it because I'm not content to put my name above God's name. If you don't have that person, you need to because that's something that the Christian is supposed to be about. The Bible says, confess your faults one to the other for, and pray one for the other. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We need confession and repentance in the church of Jesus Christ again. And thirdly, God wants to use your life, but he requires a clean vessel. He requires a clean vessel. You will never be used by God to the extent that God desires to use you until you realize that your sin is not yours. All I am is Christ's. I belong to him. And God does not tolerate that. And when we tolerate sin in our life, when we have little walls in our life, 
to say we're going to have this sin here and we're not going to talk about it and nobody's going to know about it and we're going to wear a button down to church and our blue jeans and our boots and we're going to have a good time and nobody's going to ever know that we're in sin because it's private. I can tell you today with assured certainty that you will never be used by God until you are willing to lay that at the altar and go to a brother or sister in Christ and say, listen, I'm struggling with this and I'm not willing to seed over ground in my life that belongs to God, to the enemy. Because I want to be used. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.